Hello, everyone, and welcome. Glad you're here. Welcome, everyone, at Abingdon and Aberdeen and at our campus at Edgewood and Mountain Road, online, all over the world, wherever you are. Glad you're with us, uh, but we have a problem. We, we have an elephant in the room, and it is large, and it is in the way, and it's obvious, but nobody wants to talk about it, but we got to talk about it because what we do around here, we talk about some of the things that we need to talk about. The elephant in the room we're talking about over the next few weeks is the elephant of the huge financial stress and pressure and anxiety that a vast majority of people in this country are living under. And it's a concern because it's not just all those people. It's a lot of us that have some of this kind of frustration, confusion, questions. Sometimes, just to use the right word, ignorance. We just don't know exactly what we should be doing. And it feels like a big old elephant sitting on our chest. And it's not a good place to be. Some of us are like, one thing goes up in the house or we have a health issue, we're hosed. A lot of us are paycheck to paycheck. A lot of us have an elephant on our chest called debt. Um, for some of us, just the idea of like how I go about doing insurance stuff or saving for retirement or trying to buy a house or just pay the bills is overwhelming and frustrating or a source of contention, and it's the big old elephant bearing down on us. One lawyer said to me that 90% of the cases he sees in divorce trace back to, you guessed it, money. Isn't that interesting? I mean, what a huge source. And as a, as a church... We don't, we don't talk a lot about this aspect of this at all. We just don't. And part of it is our society is sort of hypersensitive about talking about money. Some of you are probably tensed up right now because we're talking about it. Um, and especially we don't want churches talking about it. We always figure it's going to be a money grab or something like that. But we've got to talk about this because of how huge it is, how big the elephant is, and because of what a big problem it, it, it really is. It feels almost to me like it would be like almost spiritual malpractice to, to know so clearly that there is some real help. There is some real hope. There is some real opportunity for us to rally around and do something. We're going to do something um, if, uh, about it. And, and that's why we're rallying together. So uh, I, I want to, if you're at, uh, in person at one of our campuses, um, uh, you should have received a candy bar or a piece of candy on the way in. If you could grab that right now, and even if some of you probably already downed that thing. That's not, that's not communion. You may have thought, hey, we're upgrading. You know, it's not, it's not communion. Um, it's just a simple way of, of getting at why we need to spend some time talking about this. So um, first of all, um, a bunch of you probably received this 100 grand, $100,000 bar. Go ahead, if you would, at all of our campuses, would you just stand right now if that's you? Go ahead and stand up. You can hold up your candy bar or whatever if you still got it. Okay, so you can see as you look around the room, you all represent those people who are financially confident. This is about 10%, 10% of us, all right? You're financially confident because... Well, you have some kind of an awareness of where your money's going. You have a spending plan of some kind. You don't carry hardly any debt, maybe on your house, but that's it. 
you um, have an emergency fund, you're saving for the future, uh, you have some kind of retirement thought in mind, good job, $100,000 bar people, you can sit down and eat your candy. Of course, don't make any noise with the wrappers. Just kidding. Okay. You, um, you might have received a, a Nestle Crunch bar. Boy, these are little. What a ripoff that is, but... Uh, Sorry for the size. Yeah, this guy's complaining here. If you received a Nestle Crunch at all of our campuses, would you stand up for just a second? There should be a bunch more of us like this, okay? I don't know if the percentages are exactly right in every campus, but here's the deal. About 60% of us live under a pretty serious financial crunch every single day. We're stressed. This is a difficult subject for us. We're in debt We don't have any or very little money saved. We're very tight, paycheck to paycheck. We feel the crunch every day. We're discouraged, maybe even apathetic about money because of the crunch that we're under. And we feel like it's probably always going to be this way. Here's the thing. 60% of us live with the crunch, all right? And most of us feel like, you know what? It's always going to be that way. It's normal. Normal in America is busted and broke typically carrying about $30,000 of consumer debt and credit card debt, car payments and card carrying about $8,000, another $8,000. You might make an average annual income of forty dollars to $60,000. It might be a little less, might be a lot more, but the point is you're in debt and it's not a great topic for you. It would take about 70 months to pay off your consumer debt at the rate that you're going if you're one of these people. And if the fridge goes out, you're in trouble because you're under the crunch, all right? You can sit down and eat your crunch bar, and uh, let's see now the Butterfinger people. Man, I love Butterfingers. Go ahead and stand up at every campus, Butterfinger people, right? This is about 26% of us, and these Butterfingers, they represent... The, the, about one-fourth of us who feel like, boy, money is so hard to come by. And when it does, it just slips through my fingers. I cannot make money stay. I cannot make it do anything. I feel I have more debt than the crunch people. I feel financially insecure. I don't have any savings. I'm really in trouble if something happens and stuff always seems to happen. And so I'm really in trouble. It's a very stressful place. It's going to take me about 197 months just to pay off my credit card debt if I pay the minimum payment, which I really can't do most months. So I'm talking 16 years, best case scenario, under the current plan. That's a Butterfinger person. If you still have an appetite, you can sit down and eat that one. All right, there should be some people with some lifesavers. Go ahead. Uh, Are there any lifesavers at every camp? Okay, yeah. Now, there's a few more uh, lifesavers than there actually are, fortunately. There's there's a small group of people um, who, when it comes to their finances, are absolutely drowning. You're even worse off than the Butterfinger people. You are going down. A big rogue wave of financial pressure just keeps rolling over you, and you're like, you need a lifesaver, and you need it fast because it's like, it's, it's serious trouble. You owe some people money. You got a pile of unpaid bills. You probably have an eviction or a foreclosure or a bankruptcy, either already to your credit or, um, that was funny to say credit. Um, you didn't get that? Anyway... <laughs> Or it's pending, it's looming. There's really nothing funny about it because if you are a lifesaver person, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, it's just stressful, and you know it's always gonna be this way because you don't see any way out. 
All right, you can sit down and suck on that. All right. <laughs> Friends, I wanted to give you that little tour, okay, here at Halloween when we all need more candy. Um, I wanted to give you that little tour because we need to see, I think, and really just feel how big this elephant really is. It's a big deal. The problem of financial stress is heavy for the vast majority of us. If you, if you look at the data, nine out of 10 of us, nine out of 10 of us are carrying this in a big way. I wonder which, which candy bar are you? If you're honest and kind of look at that. So we're making a big deal out of this because the elephant is big. And one of the ways we're making a big deal is we're saying, all right, let's dive in. Let's use Financial Peace University. We're going to go to school on this. And we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people going through nine weeks of curriculum. And we're doing stuff on the weekends. We're leaning into some teaching by Dave Ramsey for the small groups. He has like a three-hour radio show every single uh, day. It's like one of the most listened to things because he's a great teacher on this matter of finances. It's, and the stuff that he, you're learning in the groups is super practical. It's, it's solidly biblical and it's very much needed. Now, um, we're going to do some stuff on the weekends and I think those of you who are not in a group are going to like what you hear so much, you're going to want to jump into the next round which will happen next spring, okay? So let me, let me talk about the reason why so many Americans live with this marriage-killing, health-eroding, soul-numbing, peace-destroying financial stress every stinking day of their life. And we're going to talk about that and what you can do about it starting today and how you can help others. How many of you, um, how many of you have ever had a bad dog? Anybody? Okay, like a misbehaving dog that had a mind of its own, right? Dogs are awesome, way better than cats, but they do misbehave once in a while. And um, even bad dogs are kind of cute. Check this out. What did you do? What did you do, dog? Oh my gosh, you made a hole in the door. I think you did it. Was it you? Did you, you tore this up? Yeah, it was. It was you. What is this? Do you know if there's a bad brown dog that did it? Who's hiding behind here? Was this you? What a bad boy. How about you, mister? Did you destroy a pillow that wasn't yours? Were you bad? What have you done, Buck? Buck. Bad boy. And here's what Berlin did today. And when she was questioned about it, she's now holding out in the shower. She's praying that we blame somebody else. Did you get on the counter and get those cookies? <laughs> so nobody likes a misbehaving dog that doesn't do what you ask it to do. Sit, and it runs away. Come, it does what it wants. Stay, it rolls around and, and eats your socks. It's, it's no fun. I had a dog like that uh, when I was a kid. It was a dog being mugs, and we just gave up on that dog. We didn't expect it to come. We, didn't, we just gave up. It was like, this dog's hopeless. We just kind of gave up on it. And this seems like a good time to show off the skills of our current canine in the Kacharis household. Ladies and gentlemen, I give for your viewing pleasure Larry the Wonder Dog. Check it out. Larry. Good boy. Sit. Lie down. Lie down. Lie down. Roll over. Good boy. Jump. 
You can jump higher than that. Jump. There you go. Good boy. Most of the time, he does what you want him to do. Um, yeah, that's, that's Larry the Wonder Dog. Uh, but here's the deal. Larry did not arrive that way. You tracking with me? Luke Erickson and Holly, they got a dog, and I'm like, boy, you're in for it. Because that dog, uh, it's going to do what it wants to do, and, and it's going to do some doo-doo where it wants to do doo-doo if you don't train that dog. And I think the reason a lot of people struggle with financial stress is that they haven't trained their money to behave. A lot of us feel about our money like I felt with my dog Muggs. Like, what's the use? It's just hopeless. I don't even, ha- I don't even want to try anymore. It's just too hard, and we just put up with this and put up with that. The deal about training a dog is, you know this, if you're a dog person, it's not really about the dog. You know this, right? I mean, there are some exceptional cases, and there are really bad dogs out there, for sure. But it's not always about the dog. The fact is, it's about the owner. you got to train yourself to learn how to make the dog go and do what you want it to do. And here's the deal. Money is actually way more consistent than a dog. Money always, always, always goes where you put it. Isn't that interesting? We can train ourselves to make our money behave. It's not easy. I didn't say it was easier than training a dog, but it is more consistent. And we can train ourselves to make our money behave so it will do what you say. And yes, there are also exceptional circumstances with money. We've got to be honest and sensitive about this. There are those crazy, unexpected things, and there's tough situations. But even then, if you're better prepared, you can dig your way out of stuff like that when you learn to tell your money where to go. So I'm going to give you a little illustration. Um, I went to Walmart, and I got some stuff, mostly just money. You can get money at Walmart, I guess. It was a joke, so I'm just kidding. This is money. Let's just say all this money represents all of your earnings, okay? All of a person's earnings. It might be a lot or a little. These are ones and fives because we had them on hand for something else. And um, so that's what they represent. Now watch this. I'm going to show you something about how money behaves, and it's really complex, but just try to stay with me. It's, it's, if I take some of this money and I put it up here and I give it to God, watch this. Stay. You see that? It's still there. It didn't, it didn't go away. It didn't wander. It didn't run around the block. It didn't go pee on the neighbor's lawn. It just stayed right there. Pretty cool. And watch this. This is, this, is, this is crazy. What if I take another little bit of money and I, and I put it over here in an emergency fund? Watch this. Stay. Stay. You get the principle? It's kind of tricky. Let's say, let's say I, I want to put some over here in savings. And maybe even a little more, here I'll put a little more in uh, investments and a little more down here in, in my living expenses and stuff I just want to do and vacations and, and, and food and all of that. And I say, stay, 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 stay. You see what happens? You see the principle? You're like, man, I got, I, I, I got out of bed for this. I tuned in for this. You know, it's like, okay, here, here's the thing. Most of us don't believe this principle still. We think, we think money's like a bad dog. But this whole, series is, this whole series is kind of like money obedience school. We're going to train our money at Financial Peace University 
just like you might train a dog, and just like you might train a dog, the one who needs to be trained is me. It's you. We're the ones who need more help, and it's going to be super practical, and we're going, to, we're going to get at this and make our money behave using some of God's wisdom and strength, and you can see a different financial future in your life if you learn the simple secrets that we're going to unpack. You have a different future if you'll humble yourself enough, and I just ask you to do that, to consider the wisdom we're drawing from God's Word Humble yourself enough to consider it. Give yourself that benefit so you can then pony up and see what it would look like to make your money behave in a way that blesses you in your life. So that's what we're going to do. Drake, Drake has a song called God's Plan. We wanna, I want to give to you just kind of an overview of God's plan for how to make our money behave. And... Uh, I'm just going to give you a few principles, and then you'll, let, you'll have something to chew on. So the, the first, we're going to start with the most foundational principle that you find in Scripture, and here it is. Earnings, earnings, whatever comes to you into your hands, call those earnings, are a gift from God. It's really important we start there. Earnings are a gift from God. It's the basic truth that everything belongs to the Lord, and whatever comes into our hands comes out of God's hand. It's pretty basic and important, but you're, so we're talking about your earnings and this income. When I think about it in this way, it changes, it changes how I think about money, and it changes how I think about money behaving when I begin with the truth that everything's a gift from God. So you're breathing right now, most of you, okay? Every breath is a gift from God. Every new day where you set your feet on the ground is a gift from God. Your strength and your energy, your life, your talent, your ability, even to get up and go to work is a gift from God. James 1 summarizes and just says, whatever is good and those perfect things in life, they're all gifts coming down from, from God the Father. Someone say, not me. I earned every penny. I worked my buns off for that. Don't be telling me it's a gift. And Scripture reminds us, that may not be true. You may say that, but Deuteronomy 8 says, you know what? Those who say, oh, my power, my strength, my hands produce this wealth for me, me, me. Remember, it's the Lord, your God, who even gave you the strength and the ability to do it in the first place and gave you that job. That's a way of, different way of thinking than a lot of people want to think. But if you want to be like the majority of crunch and butterfinger people, then we just keep doing that. But if you want to be a little different, then you can think about it God's way. And that's where this starts. So whatever earnings we have, whether it's a few bucks from babysitting or car washing or, or an hourly rate for your work or a commission on sales or a salary, big or small, or interest investments or in, inheritance, whatever it is, it might be in the form of a mama putting a dollar in your hand as you go into Sunday school, or it might be something direct to Deposit with thousands every week into your direct deposit of your bank account doesn't matter. It will always behave like a bad dog until we train it and ourselves to understand the most foundational biblical truth, which is that all of our earnings are a gift from God. You know, I have on my phone a little app. There's something you can try. I've been trying to do this lately. Whenever I look at that app and try to you know, check the balance in my checking account or whatever, and I see that money and I see, you know, you just get that little like, oh, good, the direct deposit went in or that, cat, that check that somebody gave me for playing the harmonica, you know, it, it, it cashed. You, 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 think, you, you think a certain thought, you know, oh, good, or whatever it is. But I'm trying to train myself to think this different thought and just to realize those earnings, 
is, is a gift. And, and, to, and to breathe a little quick prayer and just say, thank you, God, for that gift. Because it reminds me, it retrains my brain. It's a different thought. Maybe you could try that too. Thank God first. And especially, you know what, I think we need to look at earning as like a, a sacred privilege. Sometimes we, we gripe about work all the time. It's, it's common. To, oh, I got to go in the grind, you know. Got to earn, you know. But you know what, there's people all over the world who who have no opportunity to even work at all because of the corrupt governments around them or dysfunctional economies. And there's, there's a couple millions and millions that can only earn a couple of dollars a day and live in scraps and junk. And we ought not to take earning for a granted. It, it, for, it's, it's a reverent thing. So if you get your money to behave, step one is going to be acknowledging that everything belongs to God, but it's been placed in our hands, and so we're invited to use it in a way that honors Him, which is why... Which is why it'll lead you to give a percentage of it back to the Lord for his purposes. Ephesians 5 says, imitate God. That's our job, to imitate God. And one of the key ways we're called to imitate God is through our generosity by giving back to him. It's what we call the tithe. And we're not going to spend much time talking about all that. Because this whole series is not about what the church wants from you. It's what the church wants for you. But there's no way around the fact. You can't just not mention the fact that... For the huge percentage of us who really want more financial peace, there are no principles or commands in Scripture that offer more hope and more help than what the Bible clearly teaches about the joy and the peace and the benefit and blessings that come to people who consistently tell some of what they have received as a gift to go back to God and stay there. Proverbs 3 just lays it out. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Whatever earnings God's put into your hands, takes them off the top, goes right to God, and then it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. There's some kind of blessing. Something triggers in the mind of God to honor and bless those who are moved to bless and honor him. And I have friends who scoff at me on this. They say, I could never do that. And I think to myself, I could never afford not to. I can't tell you the number of times. I don't know how I'd get through my life if I hadn't had the blessing of God in a way that I'm convinced is connected to this humble, simple, repetitive thing that we do to simply honor God with that way. So when you follow Jesus, you tell some of your earnings to serve the Lord who gave his life for you. And it's a private, holy moment. You can tell it to stay. You can tell it to do that. And uh, it'll keep doing good. And you'll walk a little taller because you know that only God knows only you and God know that you made your money stay there, and that's pretty cool. Now, once you've done that first thing of kind of figuring out everything is a gift from God, the second, the second is a desperately needed practice, which doesn't sound very interesting or sexy at first, but it really comes, it's beautiful when you need it. And that is, secondly, we, we can then, the second principle is to pray and work to establish an emergency fund in the next 30 days. There's your challenge. If you don't already have one, and the materials will help you know how to do it and, and how much. But one of the things we're going to learn through these next few weeks is just the incredible power of little small steps repeated over, you know, putting your mind to something, sticking to it. That's how life happens, isn't it? That's how life happens. It happens in the big dramatic moments. It happens in the steady little things that we do over and over. Cedrica is a single mom, and she hit her goal of saving up $1,000 for her emergency fund way faster than several others in her group had, who had double income. 
And then her car acted up and needed repairs, and it's almost like God saw the whole thing coming and graciously had encouraged her to set that up, and she was prepared, and that when that deductible hit, it wasn't like an elephant squashing her. Proverbs 6 says, take a lesson from the ants. Did you think you could learn from ants? That's what the Bible says. And it calls us lazy bones if we behave in this way. Learn from their ways and become wise. How so? Well, they labor hard all summer to store up provisions, gathering food for the winter. It's such a true and universal principle, the wisdom of this, that God built it into nature and even ants understand it. And if ants can understand it, so can we. Quick question. How often does winter roll around? Yeah, pretty regularly. (laughs) And if you're in Minnesota, it stays for nine months. But it comes regularly. Second question, how regularly do surprises and emergencies and unexpected things happen that hit you financially? How regularly? Real regularly, right? Carla and I have been living in the same house for over 10 years, which means everything is about at that place right, where they're like, yep, this is about it, you know, the, 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 the water heater, the heat pump, the sump pump, the microwave, the dishwasher, the toilet, the, the, the pipes, the, the, you know, everything. It's like they all get together at night when we're sleeping and say, let's go on strike. We're all going to quit together. And that's what happens when the house gets a certain age. And if you're super handy, you can YouTube your way and fix all that stuff. Great, but once in a while, one of them is going to cost you. So in FPU, we're learning how to put together an emergency fund, quick, so that when it does happen, and it will happen, you're ready. Instead of being like, you know, what, what? This 37-year-old microwave stopped working? Didn't see that coming. It's like, come on, of course we see it. We gotta see it coming, or we're, we're dumber than an ant. That's what the Bible's trying to say. So we're gonna be smarter than that and have a special fund tucked away. And once you get your emergency fund set up, then you can learn another amazing trick to start helping pay off debt. And we'll talk about this in future weeks, but Sarah got cancer and the bills just buried her and her husband. She's doing okay today, but at the time it was really horrible financially. They had their house payment and their son was in an accident. They had some other stuff they were trying to take care of and it just buried them in a hole and, and they didn't know what to do. Um, most people, when they get in that situation, they, they end up borrowing more to try to pay off some of those bills and it just escalates. So what they did is they used a principle they learned in Financial Peace University called the debt snowball. And what they did is they contacted all the hospitals and the doctors and they said, we're gonna, we're gonna, we promise to pay you, but it may take a little while. And everyone said, okay. And then they sent everybody something every month, but they started with the smallest bill and they scraped together every extra thing they could and they put as much as they could toward that small bill until they killed it. And they had a party. They were like, yes, it felt so good. They knocked out that little one. Then they took that money and they kind of rolled it with some other that they were able to scrape together in the meantime. And now the snowball had grown a little bit and they put it to the next smallest bill. And they went after that till they killed it too. And they kept doing that until they got to that big mama bill and they had quite a bigger snowball at that point. And it took a little while. It took a little discipline it took some struggle but you know what they eventually paid it off and they he said they, they felt like they were they killed a roaring lion they were just like yes and i hope you can feel that because some of us need that skill need that tool because debt can be gone it can be we can learn to do this 
And then you can take that money and use it to do something else that you or even God is opening up for you to do that we can't even say yes to now. We can't even think about it because we're so buried. And if you have a story, we'd love to hear it. If you have a story about tithing and what it's meant to you, if you have a story about debt and how you're working your way out or have had success there or emergency fund or anything, we want to hear your story. I'm going to put a, a, an address there. You can check that out. Go to the website, backslash stories. Type it in. It'll be confidential, but you can just share that if you want. Because debt will eat your money, but once you pay it off, you can use that money to do something else, which is another one of the categories after God and some, you know, uh, putting some things aside in savings, then you can do some things. Number three, commit some of your earnings to savings and investments every single pay period, all right? If you're one of those people that had parents that gave you a little bank book when you were a kid or little envelopes marked give, save, spend or something, you're blessed, you're way ahead of the curve because most people have no idea. According to CNBC, Susie Orman, 85% of Americans have less than 10,000 in savings, 35% 35% have less than 1,000, and about the same number have nothing, none, none put aside. So every third person in your row has zero. Why is that? Well, you might say, well, we don't make enough money. Okay, well, there, it's a lot harder, I think, when you don't make a lot of money. That's true. But the number one reason that people give isn't that, and it really isn't about that so much, as much as someone might say, in reason number one, I, I'm, I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm going to, but I haven't yet. I'll put some money away and start investing or save something later. And, I, and when money's tight, it's pretty easy. It's tough to save. It is. But I've also, I can tell you so many stories about widows who've worked two or three jobs and have given to the Lord and have made sure that by a disciplined, long-term obedience in the same direction that they were able to do this. Another reason we give for not saving or investing is, is this statement that we make something like, well, you know what, my living expenses are just too big, and they eat up all my earnings. And there are real legit, there's a real legit problem here in this, in this country, and we all know what that's like when you just have more, you know, month left at the end of the money. But we also have to also just address very frankly what the bigger problem is, and that is that we all think money's a misbehaving dog when it's we ourselves that are choosing a standard of living because we think we have to have it, the new house, the new outfit, eating out every week, got to have that truck, got to have that pool, got to go on that vacation, because if we start there, if we start here, all the money ends up down in that pile. It just does. In fact, most of the time, we end up living off of 105% of our income. That's why we're all so far in debt to our eyeballs. If everything you want is your first priority, if having everything you want is your first priority, you're never going to have everything you want. That's how that works. Even if you inherit lots of money, you're just going to blow through it. I can tell you how to take a million dollars and turn it into a thousand like that, and that is give it to a bunch of kids that don't know how to handle their money, or sometimes not just kids. So if your lifestyle has no margin, and you're not saving or giving and you're not doing anything like we're talking about, God's going to give you opportunities and they're going to be in front of you and you can't say yes to them and your heart's going to break. You just, you just get frustrated and you're strapped. You can't say yes to hardly anything. So financial peace comes when you put your money according to some priorities. 
because we all make a choice. Here's the choice. Will I be driven by my passions or directed by my priorities? Can I let my priorities be shaped by the will of God, the ways of God, and this biblical wisdom here? And can I drive my decisions and where I tell my money to stay based on that rather than just the passions, the passion that says, man, that looks good. Man, I got to have that. How am I going to do this? How am I going to keep, I got to keep up with everybody. Now, if you live by godly priorities, it's going to make you look weird. I'll just tell you that. But if you want to look like everybody else and eat crunch bars and Butterfinger for the rest of your life, we can do that too. But if you want to look weird, then you'll be like maybe more of the 10% of the people. And you say, well, man, if I don't drive that car, if I don't go to those things that everybody's going to... I'm going to be so embarrassed, and I'm saying don't confuse your feeling of embarrassment with your need to find courage, because they're different, but they feel very similar. Think about that. It may feel embarrassing at first, but what you're really feeling is the need for courage. It's foolish to run your life by fear of embarrassment when what you really need is courage, to say yes to God, to change your future, to leave the kind of legacy that your kids and you will be proud of, encouraged to tame the wild dog of our money and make it obey. And let me just leave you with this. You know, everything we're talking about, and we've got people listening to me right now that make millions of dollars, we've got people that don't have any job and don't have any money at all, and everything I'm saying applies to every single one of us. And... I guess the thing I want to leave you with is this idea that we can't do any of this without some humility. And that's one of the reasons some of us are where we are, because we haven't been willing to humble ourselves. C.S. Lewis reminded us that humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. It takes humility to admit that God's wisdom regarding money is higher than our own or Wall Street's or the American way that says you've got to live a certain way and do a certain thing. 90% of us are trying that method and it's producing the results that we're seeing, which is why I'm so proud of our church for diving in and the hundreds that are doing this stuff in these groups. I'm so proud to lean in to trust God and what he says about money. It turns out he's pretty smart and seek financial peace. It takes humility to admit that millions of people have wrecked their homes and strained their marriages and families and businesses because they don't know what to do with their money. It takes humility to admit that I might need a budget. I might need some kind of spending plan. All that is, folks, is a plan to get from here to where you want to go. That's all it is. But somebody's like, I don't need that. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> don't have enough humility. It takes humble people invite accountability into their finances. They're like, okay, I, I want some help here. Let's talk about it with some friends. Or if you're married, you have to have some accountability. You know what? It, doesn't it sound like fun to have a, a, a accountability with a husband wife on finances? No, it's not fun. It's horrible. It's, ho it's the worst thing ever. You have to communicate. You have to compromise. You have to change. You have to talk about it. You've got to get through conflict. It's, not, it's an easy part to skip, which is why most people don't have the courage to do it. It's amazing to me how many people are willing to go get help from a Pilates instructor, a personal trainer, a dietitian, or, or you know, someone to teach them how to shoot a gun properly, whatever. But when it comes to finances, we're like, nope, I got it. But humble people invite accountability and we're going to provide some here. You can take advantage of it. You know what else? Humble people admit it when they need help. So just look at what candy bar you're eating right now and figure out where you are. And some of us 
come out of backgrounds where it was just financially chaotic everywhere around us. Our parents never taught us a thing. We didn't learn it in school. It's not necessarily your fault. But, but like me, I had a lot of ignorance. I still do. Maybe you didn't have a lot of good examples. We just, we thought that crunch bars and butterfingers and life service is all there was. But my ignorance has gotten me into a lot of trouble in a lot of areas in my life as I didn't know any better. And if your ignorance has gotten you on the wrong path in life, in this area or any others, don't let your arrogance keep you there. Does it make sense? Help's available. We can eat this elephant one bite at a time. So let me encourage you to be humble, be open to these time-tested, biblically proven tested by millions of people, methods, and biblical principles, and not be normal, which is busted and broke and frustrated and stressed. And uh, let's go on a journey together. Let's pray. Lord, will you help us? Because this is hard. We have, I'm, I, I, I just know as I'm talking about this, there are so many defenses and emotions probably. This is dumb or makes me mad or sad or embarrassed. Or reasons why our situation is different or won't work. But Lord, will you just help us? Will you just help us find the humility to be able to hear these truths and help us to find the courage to put them into practice? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.